Good morning again and welcome. My name is Craig Thompson. I'm senior pastor here at Malvern Hill Baptist Church. It is our privilege and joy to have you gathered with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, we will be in just a minute in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, beginning in verse 8. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 8. Before we get to that, I do want to address just a, a, a handful of announcements that I need to make you aware of. Uh, first thing, this evening we do have our annual Thanksgiving dinner. We, we, it will be different. If you've looked behind you, there's a giant tent back there because we're going to seat most of you outdoors, uh, which means right after service we need some help getting some tables put out. So if you are able-bodied or semi-able-bodied or able-minded and want to help supervise the able-bodied, uh, we really need some help getting tables and chairs put out under the tent uh, right after service this morning so that we can gather. Uh, the uh, I do want to remind everybody and, and just focus so we, we, we can do this, okay? Uh, the food is going to be pretty self-contained, so you'll go through a serving line. They're going to give you uh, a, a, a to-go box that has turkey dressing and some vegetables. I don't even know what they are, but sides to go along with that, all right? Uh, you will then take that and sit down at your table and eat. Parents, we're asking you if you have young children, and let's just say young, 10 and under. How about that? Uh, if you have young children, fix their plate and take it to them, okay? If the, you don't know what they eat, you're not doing a good job parenting. So this is your opportunity to grow as a parent, all right? Um, so fix their plate and take it to them just to help us. When you go through the serving line, wear a mask. That was a period, not a please. When you go through the serving line, wear a mask, okay? Help us with that. That's going to make life a little bit better. We're asking and inviting you all to bring desserts tonight. What we're going to do is we're going to have multiple dessert tables spread out so that we don't have 3,700 people gathered around one place eyeballing a cake. We'll have multiple spread out. When you go get your dessert, we're going to say put a mask on, all right? Probably going to have some gloves there. Put some gloves on or squirt some hand sanitizer on your hands. And then we're asking you to please, if you can, if you would be so kind, individually wrap your desserts. Put them in a baggie. If it's a really big dessert and you want me to try it, put it in one of those gallon baggies and bring it to me. That's just fine. I'm okay with that. Uh, but put it in a baggie. If, if for some reason you just can't pull that off, when you get here tonight, somebody will, will uh, actually take and, and divide that stuff up and put it in baggies for you or, or wrap it or whatever. But we're going to do that. Try to minimize contact as much as we can. But we still want to gather and we still want to celebrate Thanksgiving and, and uh, reflect on all the blessings that we have. If you want to sit indoors, there will be limited indoor seating in the gym. So uh, just be aware of that. I, I'm going to ask uh, those of you who are able-bodied, okay, to reserve those spaces for some folks that might have some mobility issues or something like that where the, the, the rough terrain might make it a little more difficult for them. Um, but uh, there will be limited seating. And by limited, I'm, I'm guessing I'd probably in that 40 range of, of seats in the gym, somewhere in that range, okay? So that's Thanksgiving tonight, 6 o'clock. Please make your plans to be there, and please help us set up right after service. There's a Christmas tree on the stage. There's a Christmas tree on this stage and on the stage in there because today is our Operation Christmas Child collection date. At the end of my sermon this morning, we will have an invitation and we will sing a song. That song that we will be singing at the end of my sermon is called Do It Again. During that time, if the Lord is working in your life, I would love to pray with you and speak with you about how the next steps you might take. Also during that time, we're inviting our children and those children's workers who will be helping out and volunteering a little bit to come, pay attention, walk around this trailer 
around it. Don't go over there because if you do, our drummer's going to hit you with a drumstick. Walk around the trailer, okay? And then you're going to go to the porch. And after that song, our children are going to do what we generally do with Operation Christmas Child, and they're going to carry the boxes in. They're going to take them here and into the sanctuary. So we're going to divide and conquer this morning, and then we'll have a moment to pray over those and what we hope that God will do through those. So that's the second thing. I know there's a lot. The third thing this morning, children, Miss Rhonda has ordered a really awesome thing for y'all because there's a rumor that some of y'all have a hard time paying attention to my sermons. I don't know if it's true, uh, but there is a rumor. So uh, she has ordered a bunch of these little notebooks. They say sermon notebook, and on the inside, it's got a way for our kids to focus and, and stay plugged in. So if you did not get one of these from Miss Rhonda, see her afterward, or the lucky person that gets to me first gets this one. If you didn't already get one from Miss Rhonda, if you don't come get it from me, I'm just giving it back to her. But these are available for our children. All right, those are the majority of our announcements. <sighs> Now, I have two other things to say that are a lot of fun. Uh, God's been really good to our church in the past, uh, the past 12 months, in the past eight months, the past six months. We celebrate God's goodness. Uh, and, and, it, and he's been good to us in so many ways. And you guys have been so faithful in so many ways. Our attendance, it might not seem this way to you, but our attendance is actually through the roof. We percentage-wise are ahead of any church that I know of. Our our attendance is wonderful. Uh, I believe, based on the conversations I've had with other pastors, I think we are the highest attended church in our county right now. Uh, by raw numbers and by percentage-wise, you guys are just blowing blowing the doors off with what you're doing showing up. You also have done a wonderful job being faithful in your tithing. When COVID-19 hit in early March, you know, our one of my concerns as pastor was, what are we going to do? How are we going to make ends meet? I, I began crunching numbers. What can we do to cut this and this and this and make sure everything works out? And we've not had to cut a dime. Instead, God has been so faithful, and you guys have been faithful in your giving. And as a result, we're actually ahead of budget right now, which is unheard of, not, not ahead of, of, of expenses. We are ahead in giving. You guys have done an amazing job. As a matter of fact, in two weeks, we'll be voting on the 2021 church budget. And when that comes around, you're going to be able to see not only what God's blessings have been for 2020, but some of the ways that we're going to hope to return those blessings uh, beyond just our own personal use. But one of the ways that we're going to do that this morning, our finance committee voted this week um, to give away a little bit of money into our own community as a result of your faithfulness and try to bless others. And so right here at Thanksgiving, I just want to announce to you what our finance committee has agreed to do. Uh, the first thing that our finance committee has, has voted to do is to uh, send $2,000 to Carish Wing to um, help those residents who have uh, been incredibly dis or inconvenienced and really just had a horrible time through COVID. They've not been able to see family members and many others. And many of our residents there uh, have not received the blessing of church groups like ours going in every week and praying over them and singing with them and caring for them. And so we can't get in the doors there, but what we can do is uh, write a check to them so that they can help to make sure that residents that don't have family members or others that would, would bless them this Christmas season can receive a blessing. So the Finance Committee has voted to do that. And so you guys, as a result of, of your really incredible giving, we're going to be doing that this week. 
Also this week, um, we became aware of a need. Uh, the, uh, the United Way is going to be providing Thanksgiving meals to 680 families in our community this holiday season. And uh, they were struggling to get all the money they needed. And so the Finance Committee voted this week and has agreed uh, to p- buy um, chickens. They're not doing turkeys, but whole roasting chickens for 600 homes this year at Thanksgiving. So the church has voted to, to uh, write a check, or the, the Finance Committee write a check, and all this uh, for $3,000 to cover that. I want you to know all this is coming out of our missions offering or missions giving, those, the, the line item for missions that we've just not been able to, um, to use all of this year as a result of COVID-19. But when we sat around, we want to make sure that we do the things we can to bless others. And so those are just two of the things you're going to see in a couple of weeks, some other things that we're going to bring to you, and we're going to ask you to approve. But uh, right now, I just want you to know that as, as a result of your giving and your faithfulness, we're able to meet all the needs that we have in our own church body and then go above and beyond and bless others. So I just wanted to share that with you, and we certainly celebrate God's goodness in that. All right. It was a lot of good news, but it was a lot of announcements, right? Okay. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of First Chronicles chapter 16. First Chronicles 16. We're going to read a lot of verses this morning. So just be aware. I'm going to ask you to stand in just a moment. If you have to sit down halfway through, we understand nobody's judging you, okay? But I'm going to read all of these verses this morning, and that's important for the uh, sort of big picture of the message that, I, that we'll be bringing. So if you would stand with me in honor of God's Word, we're going to be in First Chronicles chapter 16, beginning in verse 8. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When you were few in numbers, of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord of families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. 
Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Say also, save us, O God, of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the blessings that we enjoy as your children. We thank you for the promises of your word and the hope found in it. And Father God, even beyond the eternal blessings that we know in you, God, we thank you for the blessings that you've shown to our church just this year. And Father, as we have shared today about some of the ways that we're going to be able to bless our community financially, Father God, we pray that those financial blessings would enable us, Father, to better communicate the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a community in desperate need. May we, Lord God, be known as a people of thanksgiving and thankfulness. Lord God, may you be glorified in us. Speak to us through your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Do we really give thanks? You know, the reason that I read that entire uh, section there is because I want us to understand that David knew how to give thanks. Like he really understood what it looked like. When I think about the prayer that I'll offer over our Thanksgiving meal later tonight, it's not going to be 22 verses long or whatever that was. I think it was 18. It's not going to be that, right? It's going to be a prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer of blessing for the meal, but we don't naturally turn and express that degree of thanksgiving. As I thought through that this week, it got me to wondering whether or not we really understand even what it means to give thanks. Do we really give thanks? Of course, we celebrate thanksgiving, but do we have a deep appreciation of what it means? You know, our prayers tend to change when our life changes. Most of us probably say a blessing before we eat, but how often do you pray, thank you, God, for my daily bread, with a heart of real thankfulness? Thank you, God, for giving me this. I'm already hungry right now. I'm not sure why. I'm very hungry. It's not usually good. They make hangry sermons, so we're going to try and avoid that this morning. But, you know, I, I don't have any fear that if I need for my hunger to be satisfied, I'm going to have a difficult time with that. As a matter of fact, I know that if I go to my office, I have snacks in my office for just such an emergency event. I know that if I go home, my wife has our kitchen well stocked. But maybe some of you at some point in your life have known what it was like to be hungry, to wonder where your next meal would come from. When those things happen, we tend to pray a little differently. I have a friend who years ago went with his wife to the home of a church member to celebrate a child's birthday party. When they arrived, they realized that the home was really dirty. But what made it worse was that even the dishes they were served on to be, seemed to be pretty dirty as well. 
He said, listen, I've said a lot of prayers in my life over meals, but that day when they called on the pastor to pray, I prayed, Lord God, please, please bless this food and bless those of us who are about to eat it. He said, as I sat there afterward, I noticed a a film over the top of my wife's drink. He said, I noticed that she had noticed this film, and we were concerned about being good hosts in this, or uh, good guests in this home. But my wife kept looking at it, and her eyes kept getting bigger, and the host seemed to have no appreciation. He said, so she turned around to get something else out of the kitchen. I grabbed her glass, and the most loving thing I ever did, I chugged my wife's dirty drink so that she wouldn't have to drink it. (laughs) But maybe you've been there before. How many of you have been on one of those mission trips where you prayed over the food, and you prayed, Lord God, Please bless this food. Often our thanksgiving is really muted because we don't remember why it is that we need to be thankful. Our prayers are muted because we've forgotten why it is that we need to pray. Sometimes they get muted because we just don't remember to whom we are thankful We don't really remember to count our blessings. And in all honesty, we're just entirely too quiet about God's blessings to us. This morning, I want us to look at three things from David's uh, David's prayer here in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. I want us to see... Uh, to be reminded, to remember to whom we're thankful. I want us to reflect on our blessings. And folks, I want to encourage you to tell somebody what God has done. I couldn't help but think about that old song that uh, we, we don't sing very often anymore, but count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. And then you, if you do it as a real good Baptist church, what do you do? You have to count your blessings. You've got to hold that one a really long time. Name them one by one. Um, I couldn't help but think about that, but that's, that's going to be part of what we're looking at this morning. Remember to whom you were thankful. You know, when David gathered the people of Israel, he was gathering them here to celebrate the arrival of the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. The, the arrival of the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. By the time that the Ark of the Covenant arrived in Jerusalem, David had a pretty good idea about who this God is who is reflected in the ark now the ark of the covenant what do you know about it it's not as large maybe as some of you would have imagined the ark is about three feet nine inches long and about two feet three inches wide and about two feet three inches deep so it's going to be a little larger than one of these speakers or a little bigger maybe than the cooler that you'd put in the back of your truck the ark of the covenant wasn't very large um, but it was made of two pieces. It was constructed according to God's exact dimensions and according to God's exact plan. And it was made of two pieces. There was the bottom part, the box or the ark itself that was constructed out of acacia wood or acacia wood rather. Um, I, I, I really mess up that, that pronunciation every time. Uh, and, and then it was overlaid with gold. But then over top of this box, there was what we refer to often as the mercy seat, the covering of the ark that was not made of wood overlaid with gold, that was made of pure gold itself. And upon the top of that mercy seat were two cherubim with their wings extended covering the ark of God. 
The ark itself contained, we are told in the book of Hebrews, the two tablets of stone upon which the commandments were written, the rod of Aaron which budded, and a pot of manna. By far the most important thing inside of the Ark of the Covenant were or was the tablets of stone that God had personally inscribed the Ten Commandments upon. Now, the cover was an exact fit for the Ark. All of this was made together. It wasn't as though they created this box and then went and started around in the, uh, the lid drawer at their house and tried to find the lid that would fit. There was an exact fit. And this fit was given according to the exact dimensions of the Lord himself. Now, we call it the mercy seat, but a better or more literal translation may be the atonement cover. Literally, it's called the propitiatory. The atonement cover or the mercy seat is the place where the high priest once a year would go inside the Holy of Holies where the ark was contained and there upon the atonement cover, the high priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. Francis Schaeffer gave a description of the ark this week and gave a description in a book that I read just this week that really just blew me away. Schaefer points out that the, the cover of the ark was the perfect fit for the ark. The atonement was a perfect cover for that which was contained inside of the ark itself. The ark represented the law of God. The law of God, which man could never hope to attain to, was contained inside of this box. And yet the perfect cover for God's law was created and God called it the atonement cover because God's loving, graceful, propitiating atonement perfectly covers the expectations of God's law. The Ark of the Covenant itself represented the character of God as just, righteous, holy, and loving, graceful, and merciful. All of those things are contained right there in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark cover is pure gold with two cherubim. It represents something of a throne or a footstool for the very presence of God. So the Ark wasn't to be worshipped but it represented the presence of God. And it was on that ark that God's character was not only pictured, but it was upon that ark that the blood of the sacrifices were to be sprinkled so that God's righteousness could be satisfied and our sin and the sin of the people of Israel could be atoned for. God's atonement perfectly covered God's law. Now, David understood this, but probably not completely. The, the ark had been at Kiriath-Jerim since its capture by the Philistines. I had a difficult time this week trying to trace the, the exact um, amount of time that it, it remained at Kiriath-Jerim. But what we know is that the ark, if you go all the way back to the priesthood of Eli, when the ark was captured by the Philistines, the Bible says that Eli's sons were killed at the battle, that Eli heard the news and fell off of his stool and died from a broken neck, and Samuel became 
the chief priest, as it were, of Israel in that moment. In that time period, the ark itself was captured by the Philistines. The Philistines, being a polytheistic people, took the ark of God and placed it into the temple of their false god, Dagon. And the Bible teaches us that they eventually became terrified of this thing because they kept walking in finding Dagon, the, the idol of their god, face down. And then at some point broken into pieces because God would not tolerate his holy things being in the presence of this idolatry. God then sent plagues and the people of, of the, the Philistine people finally said, we've had enough of this, get rid of this thing. And they sent it back to Israel. Over a period of time, it finds its way into the home of, uh, of a person in Kiriath-Jerim. And when David, uh, and, and then during Saul's, I almost called it Saul's presidency, y'all. This election has messed me up, okay? Saul was the king, okay? During Saul's reign, according to 1 Chronicles 13, 3, the ark was not sought after. Saul did not seek the Lord. And so the ark essentially remains in an obscure location for the 32 years that Saul reigned. Then David is engaged in what's essentially a civil war with Saul. Well, eventually Saul, over a period of time, Saul is killed. David becomes the, 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 um, the king. Now, David didn't kill Saul, you'll recall that. But David becomes the king after Saul is killed in battle. And, and all of David's mighty men, if you go and you read Chronicles, you've got this picture of David's mighty men, David's soldiers, David's leaders who anoint him as king. They, they celebrate his arrival. And if we, we can picture this as Americans today because you have warring factions, as it were, in the nation of Israel. And there were some who were thrilled to death that David was going to be appointed king. Others who were concerned that perhaps the lineage of Saul should continue. But David is anointed by the Lord as king, of course, many years prior. David uh, is appointed king of Israel in this moment. When you get to 1 Chronicles chapter 13, we see something that shifts. Because no longer does the Bible speak there of David's men. Instead, it begins to speak of all of the people of Israel. Because David had a desire, just bear with me, I know we're working through a lot of history, okay? David had a desire for the ark of God to be returned to the center place of Israelite worship. And David did not have a desire for the ark of the covenant or the ark of God for that ark to be divisive. This was not a show of power where David says, I now have control over the religion of Israel. Y'all follow after me. Instead, he, he brings all the people together. And in an effort to bring unity, all the people of Israel come together to restore the Ark of the Covenant to its place of proper worship. Now, if you know the story, then you know that what happens is they have a really good idea, but they do a really terrible thing. This perfect ark of God that God himself has designed, that God himself has instructed to be built, that God himself has his hand all over, has particular rules for how it is that it should not only uh, be observed, has particular rules for how it is that it should be moved in places where it should go. 
But the people of Israel don't take the time to consider what God might have for them to do. They go, hey, I've got a good idea. I'm going to go do my thing. God, how many of you have done this before? God, I'm going to do something. I, now, now bless, bless my efforts, Lord. And so the Bible says that David took a bunch of people, some Levites. They go down and they decide they're going to get the ark. And they get some oxen and a new cart. And they throw the ark on top of the cart. And there it begins its journey toward Jerusalem. But at some point, the oxen stumble. And when they stumble, the ark, or excuse me, the cart shifts. And when the cart shifts, the ark itself slides. I know that my father wasn't there because my dad would have put enough straps on that thing that it wouldn't have budged. But when it slid, a man named Uzziah reached out his hand to steady the ark. And you'll notice that he didn't touch the atonement cover. He touched the ark itself, the box, the law, the holiness of God. And when he reached his hand out to steady the ark, the Bible says the Lord struck him dead. And in that moment, David and his people were terrified of this God. They left it right there where it was in the company of a man named Obed-Edom. And they went on, back to their, went on back about their business. Three months later, however, as a result of the blessings that this man who now possessed the ark, and as a, a result of David's longing desire to see the ark returned to, or brought to Jerusalem, David did something that was pretty smart. He encouraged the Levites and the religious leaders of Israel to seek the word of the Lord as to how it is that the ark should be handled. And the Bible says that they returned to get the ark, but this time they actually did it in accordance with God's expectations. And so they took poles, and the Levites put the poles into the rings on the side of the ark, and they shouldered the ark, and they carried the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem on their shoulders, just as God had described. And the Bible says that all of Israel was elated. Matter of fact, the Bible says that David danced before the ark of the covenant. David danced so much that his wife, Michael, felt it was disgraceful for a man of royalty to degrade himself to a place of an ordinary citizen and to expose himself in the way that he did. And it's on the back end of that work and the arrival of the ark and of David's blessing of the people with food that David proclaims this prayer of thanksgiving You see, there's a reason this huge song of thanksgiving takes place, and in part it's because David recognizes this God who has blessed him and his country. But David also recognizes that this God is holy and righteous and powerful, and David understands maybe for the first time the incredible grace of this God that he would make himself known and available I tell you that whole story about the ark because I want you to understand that part of what brought about the ability for David to be so overwhelmed with thanksgiving toward the Lord is David understood whom this God was that he worshipped. David began to really understand who it 
was that he was thankful to and what it was that he was thankful for. Folks, sometimes our thanksgiving is anemic because we have an anemic understanding of the God to whom we should be showing thanks. Thanksgiving is a national holiday in the United States of America. Imagine, just think with me, how ridiculous it is that Thanksgiving is essentially a secular holiday. We can't be thankful if we don't have someone to whom we should show thanks. Part of the reason we're not thankful, or at least as thankful as we should be, is because we don't fully appreciate this God that we serve. Do you really give thanks? If you don't, let me urge you this morning to first remember to whom you're thankful. Second thing I want you to do this morning is to reflect on your blessings. In 1 Chronicles 16, 12, David says, Remember the works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments that he uttered. You notice what David didn't say? Remember what God did for you this year. Remember what happened last week. He says, remember all the things that God has done. I took some time this week to reflect on all my blessings. Now, let me just clarify. I took some time to reflect on a lot of my blessings. Had I taken time to reflect on all of my blessings, I suppose I would still be in that spot. You understand? I mean, we can be like little kids and we can stop, start thinking about what am I thankful for? Well, thank you, God, for air. We can do that. And sure, it's, it's true. I'm trying to thank him for this sunshine right now, but I'm struggling. <laughs> it's killing me. But we can be thankful for so many things, right? How many things do you have? What about thanking God that he saved you from your sin? What about remembering the time that the Lord preserved you from a car accident? What about thank you for God, God for guiding me toward my spouse? Thank you for my children. Thank you for my church. Thank you for the home, not only in which I live, but how about thank you, God, for the home in which I was raised? How many of you can remember a tree you climbed in your backyard as a kid? Did you learn anything from that? Did it teach you something? Are you thankful that God put those little things in your life? We tend to focus on the big things, or we have short-lived understandings of what it is that we should be thankful for. I reflected this week on the privilege of having a wife who works to make our house a home. You know, that's awesome, but it's something I often take for granted. I, I do, and I, I told her that just yesterday. I, I can sometimes just take for granted that our, our house is clean and homely without actually thinking about how does it arrive that way. The laundry fairy just shows up and does all these things. The laundry fairy has a name. What are you thankful for this morning? I, cool mornings, red tail hawks. I'm thankful for the greatest dog in the world, and I'm really sorry that the rest of y'all have to have a subpar dog. These are things I'm thankful for, right? There are so many things. Reflect on all your blessings. Is 2020 the totality of your experience? Yeah, 2020 has been a challenge, but there's so much more to life. More than the last six months, the last eight months, or even more than the last 10 or 15 or 20 years. One of my great joys is speaking with some of our older adults here in our church. I spoke with a lady on the phone um, a couple of weeks ago. She's in her 90s. And she just talked about God's goodness and blessing to her, not this week or this month or this year, but throughout her life. You know, age gives us the ability to reflect, and age often makes us more reflective. 
I think that's one of the great benefits that come with age. You get to start slowing down a little bit, and when you don't have to chase your children all over the place all the time, you have the time to sit back and appreciate what's going on. Now, you got to be careful because that's what age should do for you. Unfortunately, the reality is this is going to be ugly, so brace yourself. Some of you got old and you got angry and bitter. Because instead of taking that time when life started slowing down to reflect on all your blessings and to be thankful for it, the only thing you did is reflected on all your perceived slights or the things that you didn't get, and you allow those things to really just grind down into your soul. I did an experiment this morning because I'm preaching on Thanksgiving, right? So this morning I opened Instagram. Y'all have Instagram? I have Instagram. I post like six things there a year. Here's the things I follow on Instagram. You ready? It's an, it's a, here's a picture into my soul. I follow pastors. I follow stuff about hunting. And I follow stuff about weightlifting. That's it, right? Uh, that's not true. SEC football. There's a lot of that. So it's true. I acknowledge it. But you know, when I opened up Instagram today, because my experiment was this, I wonder if when I engage with this, I'll be more thankful or less thankful. Here's what I saw when I opened up Instagram. I saw pastors who at least have a way to present themselves in such a way that I go, oh, I don't really measure up to that guy. I saw people that have killed deer that I didn't know God could grow. You understand? You hunters understand that. They, they, like, they look like this. I don't even know how they walk. And I thought, man, I, what do I do with my life? I follow a lot of stuff about strength training. That is the worst thing in the world because, I mean, I look at this stuff and I'm like, wow, I've never, ever even measured up to any of that. It was difficult for me to be thankful because the only thing I could be was, you ready, jealous. I want what they've got. Folks, we got to stop looking around at what everybody else has and reflect upon what it is that God has given to us and what he's done for us. Reflect on the grace of God to send Jesus to die for your sins. Reflect upon the privilege of owning a Bible and being able to read it. What an incredible privilege it is that we have. Thank God, as Buster already has this morning, for a free country and for people willing to defend that freedom. Thank him. Folks, when you begin to list the things, you will have a hard time not being more elaborate in your thanksgiving because there is literally so much. Count your blessings. And then finally this morning, tell somebody what God has done. Tell somebody. Not in a humble brag sort of way. Listen, let me just let me save you from some ridicule. Nobody wants to hear about the long-lost aunt that you didn't know you had who left you $750,000 last year just because she thought you were cute when you were little. We don't need to hear about that, okay? Just shh. Thanks. Right? No, nobody needs to hear about your amazing accomplishments, right? There's nobody that's sitting around going, wow, I hope that she'll come over here and tell me how it is that she lost 47 pounds and why it is that I haven't lost one, right? I, nobody cares about those things. You get where I'm going. Tell somebody about God's blessings, but not in a braggadocious kind of way, not in a, not in a humble brag kind of way. Talk about what the Lord's given to you and what he's done, especially in those things that God has done for us corporately. 
Folks, tell somebody about what God's doing in your church. Tell somebody about that. It's exciting. Tell somebody about the spouse you have, the children you have, and the gratefulness you have for them. Tell somebody how great God is. You say, how does that come about as a result of this long passage of Scripture? The Bible says that David read all of these things. He said all of these things. He spends all these verses of God's blessing and praising God for his work. And the whole people respond with what? What was the last thing we saw? They all said, amen. Amen. Why did the people respond? Because when David began to recount the blessings, not only that he had experienced personally, but that they had received, it brought them all into a place where they could agree, yes, the glory of the Lord is worthy of our time and attention. Yes, we praise him because his steadfast love endures forever. Yes, he is that good. Amen. Tell somebody what God has done. What do you often do? You often recount God's blessings to you. One of uh, you know our, our family, like like our small family, our six people. We love to talk about what's happened. We we love to recount the history of our family. It's a short history, thirteen years long, or fifteen. If you count our, our our wedding date, it's a short history. But we love to recount those historical markers. All of our kids love for me to tell the story about when Aubrey was born because when Aubrey was born, they quickly rushed her away. They took her into sort of a, a, a NICU waiting area and um, Angela looked at me and, 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 you know, as only a mom can, I said, baby, what do you want? She, you go with my baby. Yes, ma'am, I am gone. And off with the baby I went and we get there and, uh, and the nurses are rushing around and nobody will speak to me, which doesn't sit well with me anyway. They have my child, and they're ignoring me. And finally, and I, I, I may have actually, like, grabbed one of the nurses and put my hand. I don't remember. I'm trying to flag them down. I said, ma'am, what is going on? She said, I need this baby to cry. I said, what? She said, we're concerned. She's not crying. And the nurse has got little Aubrey, and she's just rubbing her little foot and just rubbing it. I said, what are you doing? She said, I got to make her cry. I said, ma'am, I need my child. She said, what? I said, give me that child. And I grabbed her up, and I looked down at her, and I said, baby, daddy loves you, and I'm so sorry. She looked up at me, and she, of course, understood every minute, every word, because she's advanced, even at that young age. And I grabbed her little foot, and I just smacked it just as hard as I could around the bottom of her foot. And she went, ah! And I said, is that what you needed? She said, yes. I said, she's my child. You can't do that. You got to hit the kid. Didn't really hit her. She just screamed, and the nurse, I said, is that all? She said, that's all I needed to hear. We're good. Well, my kids love to hear that story. They love for me to talk about how, how grateful we are for, way, for the way God blessed us, but also just to reflect on some of those funny things. Folks, do you tell somebody about what God's done for you? Have you told somebody? Have you told somebody that God saved you? Have you? Have you told somebody that he blessed you? Have you told him? Did you tell him? Did you tell somebody what happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago? Did you tell somebody how he blessed you yesterday? The Bible says that when the people heard about all of God's blessings, they said, Amen. That's right. Y'all, why is our Thanksgiving often so anemic? We don't always give thanks well. We don't have an elaborate thanksgiving now when i speak of an elaborate thanksgiving i don't necessarily mean the meal we need to have an elaborate 
thanksgiving in our celebration to the Lord. How do you get there? Give thanks well. Take time to consider who it is that you are thankful to. Take time this week and next week to reflect on all of your blessings. Not everybody here journals. If you journal, write them down. Jot down a few of the things that God's given to you. And then finally, tell somebody what God has done. Tell somebody you work with. Tell a family member. One of the things I wrote down this week do, do you, for this sermon, do you have a brother or a sister who needs to be reminded what a blessing it was to grow up in the house where you grew up in? Do you have a parent who needs to hear you tell them how grateful you are for the way that God used them? Do you have an old teacher from high school that just needs to receive an email from you that says, thank you for what you did? Do you have a friend or a co-worker who needs to hear you say, let me tell you about my God? You might be surprised. When we show thanksgiving elaborately, it might just be that it's contagious. And it absolutely will be that God will be glorified through our efforts to thank him for his work. This morning, if you're with us, listen, I'll just be honest. 2020 has been a challenging year, right? And there may be some of you that just say, I would love it if you'd pray for me because I've allowed 2020 or I've allowed the past four weeks or I've allowed the last 24 hours to rob me of my joy and to rob me of any spirit of thanksgiving because my focus has been so narrowed in on what I don't have or what I wish I could have or what, what's been taken from me that I have neglected to appreciate all that God's given to me. If you're here this morning, maybe, maybe you don't need to come and pray, have me pray. Maybe today you just need to give out to the Lord right there where you are. But if you would like for somebody to pray with you, uh, I, I'll, I'll be up here. Uh, Pastor Buster will be in the sanctuary. Of course, there's places you can pray in there out here. However it is that we can serve you. How it is we might be able to pray for you. We want to do that for you. Because as God's people, we are called to be people of an elaborate thanksgiving. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, I pray that you bless us today. Help us, Lord God, to be more like you and to be people of thanksgiving. Forgive us for our sin. Bless us as we sing, Lord. And be praised and honored through our voices. In Jesus' name, amen.